We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 329 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I've got Rafa Albamui with me to break down this Europa League match against Napoli. And since it's Rafa, you know what that means, right? No notes, all vibes. Sound good, Rafa? Hey, I'm like Adama Traore. I just improvise at night. I go by people. I try to go by people, unless I get double teamed like Adama did today. Well, I am, I am lying a little bit, because very much like against Espanyol, when you saw... PK and Busquets are reading that paper that Nico brought on. That's how I feel like my match review notes are, because I basically use those and carry them over, and everybody knows I've done my research at some point. So I am lying a little bit, but I do want to start with, we'll say, the vibes, because let's start with the big picture stuff. Was it a good night? Was it a bad night? Should we be pleased with that result or disappointed? Because so much of it truly comes down to next week. Because remember back to the Champions League in 2020, that was a 1-1 draw to start. And then the pandemic happened, remember all that. And then when things were finally picked up in August, it was a 3-1 win for Barcelona. So uh, this is a lot different because it's a week between the matches. But so much of the first leg is dictated by the result in the second. And for me, I think you can say whether or not you're disappointed or you're pleasantly surprised with it. But I I think regardless of how I feel, these misses only matter depending on what happens next week. I agree. And I know I don't have my glasses right now. I got contact lenses, but it all depends on which with what glasses you look at it, because obviously from a results standpoint, it's not a good result. Looking at how the game went, Barcelona should have won by like, like at least two goals. And I'm being like, that's, that's, uh, that's being nice. Honestly, the, the way like Ferran should have had like four goals. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like Barcelona were, way better than Napoli and from a gameplay standpoint and I know I was a Barcelona fans we tend to overanalyze the gameplay Barcelona in my opinion played great it was what was missing was that final oomph that that little pinpoint accuracy because if Barcelona would have had the accuracy they had against Atletico Madrid we're talking about what a 4-1-5-1 game to Barcelona so from a result standpoint, I completely get it. It's not quote unquote fair because the how the game went doesn't reflect the final score. And then you're going back to Napoli 1-1. And like you said, at the end of the day, if we get bounced by Napoli, 
we're all going to look back at this game and be like, oh, we should have come out of the camp. No, or 1-5-1. Instead, we came out 1-1, and then we got bounced in uh, Italy. So I know hindsight is 20-20, but like you said, it's all going to depend if whether we go through or not. If we go through, nobody is going to remember all of Ferran's misses. But if we go to Napoli, and on top of that, don't play well, look bad, and get bounced, people are going to go back on Ferran, and this game is mm -hmm. going to become much more than, in my opinion, should be. So hopefully, hopefully, we go through in that sense, in the sense of if, like, going through each round in the Europa League, if that's going to affect Barcelona in the league, I know that's another topic for discussion, but to me, that, that wears me a little bit. Well, what I will say about the positivity of it is I, I think in context, I might be galaxy brain this a little bit, but because Napoli is a Champions League caliber side where they have Champions League caliber players in it and they're the third place team in Serie A, they could win Serie A this year for the first time since 1989, the days of Diego Maradona you know, the best of their history. So I think it was a fair result against a good team. But you're right. I mean, Barca should have won 3-1 and 4-1. And I think that's why I'm going to be positive about that. Because, yeah, there's no guarantee with the roller coaster that is Barcelona. Because if they didn't get the result they were supposed to, history tells us, at least the history of this season, that I'm about to be disappointed, right? That's why I was disappointed, much more disappointed after Espanyol, because Espanyol was a game that, I mean, it, it was a trap game, but it was Barcelona was so much worse in the second half, and they they survived. They, they just squeaked out with one point. They should have lost to Espanyol. That's why I was disappointed. This match, I, I'm less disappointed because, yes, they should have beaten Napoli, but Napoli were a good team, one. Two, yeah, they're on the road next week, but as we saw with, we'll talk about Demolé later, but there aren't necessarily benefits all the time to playing at home, let's say with this Barcelona side, and they're, they're still gelling together. And I also think that one more week even of Ferran Torres and Adama Traore and Obama Yang playing together is going to be much more beneficial to Barca than it is to Napoli. Because Napoli are pretty much, and this is why I feel about the European Knights, in Europe, that's supposed to be your team. You're, you're, this is the, the biggest stage where you're starting 11s or whatever. But not necessarily in this case, because Ansu Fati's on the bench, and Barcelona are desperate for top four, so they're rotating. Busquets started his, uh, or sorry, was on the bench for the first time in almost one full year. It was like 361 days or something since he last didn't start a game for FC Barcelona. So Xavi clearly decided to rotate obviously Danny Alves not selected for Europa League and you saw the other three guys who were registered start which is I guess is a good thing to say hey I mean we had to sacrifice the player and so we did and then as far as the other positive part of that is I want to make sure and I know Rafa you and I agree too much about this so I think people are oddly going to be able to be able to fight us both with the same points there are some and I think they're also being stricken down by by the smartest people that, that are related to Barcelona that Europa League is something to roll your eyes at that the club was too cringy when they tweeted out that a trophy was missing. But in, in greater context, I don't know if this is what the admin for the Barca account, I can't speak for them. That, you, that Europa League trophy, to me, is representative of the UEFA Cup, which is something that did elude Barcelona, particularly in the 70s. From 1972 to 1978, through the Cruyff era, they were denied that trophy in the round of 64, in the round of, I think, the 16. They made the semifinals twice and still crashed out. So the UEFA Cup was something that uh, has eluded Barcelona. It's a trophy that is now the Europa League, which just means that it's a, the little brother of the Champions League. But still, a trophy is a trophy. And it's, again, don't take those trophies for granted. And I hope this era, I mean, even if it lasts one year without a trophy, I hope Kool-Aid understand that yeah, trophies are not guaranteed. And FC Barcelona, just like Liverpool, just like Manchester United, just like Juventus, 
just like blah, blah, you know what I mean? The PSG nowadays, those clubs are expecting to win trophies. And when they don't, it's a disappointment. And that's totally fair with their budget, with how much more which how bigger and their fan bases, of course, it's a disappointment if any of those teams do not reach the top of some kind of mountain, whether it's the Copa del Rey or the Liga, whatever. That's fine. But don't take for granted the Europa League competition because you have to play a team like Napoli because you can't have both. You can't say, hey, Barcelona are definitely going to lose to Napoli and then say the Europa League's a joke. It can't be both. you got to pick one if you're going to be in either of those camps, which I tend not to be either. I say the Europa League does matter, and Napoli is a really good team that Barcelona got a fair 1-1. Well, again, not a fair result, but a reasonable 1-1 result against a good side. The problem that I have is our current situation. I completely agree with not take for granted trophies, and that's why I think it was down to like the polluted, intoxicated environment during Bartomeu's reign. But I got mad when... Cules took for granted winning the league with Valverde. A bunch of people did because we, the way we got bounced in the Champions League, and people were like, "Oh, whatever the league." I'm like, "That's a spoiled attitude." Because there, there's been times where Barcelona don't win absolutely anything. Winning the league is amazing, and people just seem to take that for granted. So I, I completely agree with you on that side. My only worry is because of the current situation that we're in. I do not think that we got the squad because of everything that has happened throughout the season. I do not think we have the squad depth because of injuries and adaptation and whatnot to compete for both for mm -hmm. the Europa League and finish top four in the league. And my worry is that be, if we try to focus too much on the Europa League, then that it's fatty fatigue because we play on Thursday. Europa League is on Thursday. We got to play on Sunday, and that could keep adding up, plus potential injuries, which hopefully don't happen. Then at the end, that, that's the only quote-unquote beef I have with playing in the Europa League because of our predicament and how important and vital, vital is for us to finish top four, that I don't want us to try and get both and then in the end end up getting nothing. So that's my worry, but I that it made me happy in a way because what you, what you you said, Xavi clearly rotated. So in my opinion, registering uh, registering Ferran Adama and Aubameyang instead of Dani Alves shows to me at least that Xavi obviously it's not like he's going to throw the Europa League because he clearly he's not going to do that. But the priority is the league. So he chose. He's like he said basically said what reporters said. Dani Alves. He's 38. He can't play two games a week with the intensity and everything that that means. So I'm going to reserve Danny Alves because he's really important to me, to the most important thing that I think. And then today, like today, tonight, depends on where, <laughs> where in the world you are. Like you said, we started with Mingueza as our right back instead of Sergio Des. That alone should tell you that Xavi was clearly rotating. Nico had a start. Busquets, like you said, didn't start for the first time in almost a freaking year. Those three things should clearly tell you mm -hmm. that it's not like Xavi's going to throw it away because it's not like he's starting Ricky Push, uh, Bretwin, and Luke de Jong, but his priority is Sunday against Valencia in Mestalla, not against Napoli. So I think it's, it's, the Europa League is going to be a, a matter of it's good. If we keep progressing, that's great. But if we get bounced, It, should, it is what it is. We're not going to cry about it. And we're not. And I think that's what the Europa League ends up being 
for the bigger teams, the ones that get now knocked out out of Champions League and end up in the Europa League. It's a matter of like, we're not going to technically throw it, but the more we progress, the more we're going to start taking it more seriously. And if we get to like, let's say quarterfinals, semifinals, then I think in those instances, you would see the better starting 11 for Barcelona. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Well, because at that point too, you are going to have even a, a clearer idea where you are in the league. And you're going to be able to say, hey, if we're in fifth or sixth, 
then maybe going all in on the Europa League and winning those two matches is more is easier than trying to win four of our last seven or something like that. But I'm hoping that Barca aren't at that point. Okay, so to talk about this Napoli match in, in a smaller context, to just talk about the, the match itself, I think it's summed up by two players in particular that also kind of are a referendum on the whole squad as a total, Ferran Torres and Oscar Mangueza where things were good and bad for both of them in different ways. And, you know, I think Oscar Mangueza, I think, you know, I think of this match as a spider web, especially when I do the five headlines. And to me, all the talking points kind of come off of either of those two players. So I want to kind of keep these ideas separate and start with Ferran Torres here. And, you know, the goal, the PK coming after he had missed all those chances is one thing. But the seven misses is certainly really telling. However, this is going to be a full-fledged, if you don't want me to hear, if you don't want to hear me defend Ferran Torres, I say fast forward, probably give me about, <laughs> give me about two and a half minutes, okay? Because people already doing the referendum of the 55 million and Pep Guardiola is laughing and of course, and uh, Chiqui Bajiristain is a genius again. He sold Barcelona damaged goods or whatever, 21 years old. I'm not going to start to talk about or have a referendum on his 55 million euro contract until sometime in the second half of next season or maybe his third year. Because there's a big difference to me, and I've said this, and I've been pretty adamant about this on the pod for years. There's a big difference between my first, the first match I ever saw Coutinho play, when I said at the very astutely that I'm not sure how he's going to fit. It doesn't make sense to me. And the same thing goes for Antoine Griezmann. The same thing can go for other players that clearly just weren't at the level, right? Like Douglas or one of those examples, right? Or, or even Marlon, Marlon, who would, who would come over from Fluminense. So it's like, I can name a, a hundred players or whatever in the last 15, 20 years. Not, maybe not that many, but at least 15 to 20, we, they, in their first match or their first few months, you're like, oh, okay, it's not going to work. Ferran Torres being 21, coming from Man City, having broken his foot, not being match fit. I'm going to start to throw those things away because I think he is regaining his match fitness and I think he is probably healed. So that's going to be less and less of an excuse. However, the reason why he's in so many good spots to finish is because he's really good at finding space. Like we've said, whether he is going to be the number nine or the left winger, that's a good question because the reason I, in the headline said he was a master of none because he's able to find space both on the wing and at a number nine, but He's just not clinical enough to be a number nine at this point, at least. And on the left wing, he does get lost a little bit. And inverting only works like Gabi and Jordi Alba seem to have a good understanding. And don't give me that La Masia stuff just about that. But Gabi and Alba seem to have a good understanding of when Alba gets forward, when Gabi drops in, when he inverts. And that spacing was just it was off today. It was off between Torres and Alba. It just it wasn't there yet. If it is. That Ferran Torres inverted winger thing is going to make a lot more sense, but it just didn't in the first, especially in the first half today. But he was still, still, all that said, finding the spots that he needed to pop up and to to miss seven chances. You only miss seven chances if you put yourself in a position to score seven times. And yes, the one in the 88th minute, that reminded me I was getting flashbacks of Dembele at, against Liverpool. That That's how bad that one was, where it's 1v1. You could not put the tie away, but you could put yourself in the driver's seat by putting that goal in, in the, 80th minute, uh, the 88th minute. But Xavi, I think, you know, I'm going to support the manager here. And he mentioned in postgame, Luis Suarez had a hard time in the first few months, and they said he had no ability to score goals. Coming over from Liverpool, where he was reasonably, you know, 75 million euros for that signing. And it's true that that Barca shirt weighs a lot for a player that grew up in Valencia, that grew up in Spain and is now playing for one of the two, you know, big giants. And so you could see what it meant to him. The emotion that he had after the game, he knows he messed up. And and I think a player who's not capable of making the, of scoring those goals, a player who knows that he hasn't underachieved, but you know, it's one thing 
and there's no respect to Luke De Young or to Martin Brothwaite, but I wouldn't expect them to hang their head like that because they're not worth 55 million euros, and that's totally fair, right? Anything you get from them is a consolation. But we're putting a lot of pressure on Ferran Torres and pressure he deserves at 55 million. But to say he's already done or it's never going to work or whatever, that's crazy to me. And I'm going to still largely be in the Ferran Torres camp because, I mean, he could score a hat trick in his next game. He could score a brace next Thursday against Napoli. Because, again, the whole thing about missing is that you can eventually start to put him in, too. And so I, I still trust in Ferran Torres. And if you had to tell me was this positive or negative in this game, I ended actually being positive. And, you know, his tears matter. His tears matter. Even though the crest fell off, it, it, he wanted to kiss the crest during the, after he scored the PK, but he, he wasn't wearing one because it, it, it fell off in the first half there. But yeah, I, I definitely am defending Ferran Torres here. Hey, if you don't want to hear somebody defend Ferran Torres again, you can skip the next <laughs> two, skip. three minutes. I, I agree. It's going to sound crazy, but I think Ferran played great. If you take away the fact that his finishing was horrible and he knows that he's the first one. I was telling that on my stream after the game, like he, nobody has to tell Ferran Torres that he was horrible at finishing because he's the first one that knows. And you saw that as the game ended, he was crushed. But I think those tears were more of like, we say in Spanish, rabia, like angriness, because he knows that he messed up. He knows that he should have come out with four goals out of the camp. No. But like you said, if you, I know that kind of sounds a little bit crazy, but if you take away the fact that he missed so many sitters, if you take into account everything else that goes into being a forward, he played great. He's great at finding himself in a position to have a clear goal-scoring opportunity, which he had a ton of. So at the end of the day, I'm not worried about that. And then on top of that, if there's one thing that I like, I like to call myself a little bit of like the doctor of body language. And I liked, like Shelby said, the shirt weighs a ton. Not ever. You can be great. Coutinho technically is amazing. Nobody can deny that. But clearly, he doesn't have the heart, the head, however you want to call it, to play for Barcelona, it weighed on him. It was too much of a pressure. Whether it was the transfer fee, whatever, technically, I don't know. But it failed because he couldn't come with what comes with being a Barcelona player. Ferran, if there's one thing that I take, he was horrible before the penalty kick, finishing-wise. Before and after the penalty kick. And another player would go back into his shell like a turtle and let somebody else take the penalty kick. He took that ball within half a second. And he was like, no, this is my ball. I'm going to take the penalty kick. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I hope he's, I was more yeah, nervous right? yeah. for him that he was for him. I was like, oh my God, please make it. I, Ferran, if you missed this, oh my God. And he was in a way, again, I don't want people telling anybody that I said that Chris, uh, Ferran is the next Cristiano Ronaldo and whatnot. But that reminded me a little bit of that Cristiano Ronaldo attitude that he might be horrible the entire game, but he's going to keep going, keep going. He might miss nine times, but he's going to score one. And to me, that was that Cristiano Ronaldo-esque attitude of someone that's like, no, I believe in me. Whether I'm that good, whether I think I'm better than I actually are, that's a whole different debate that we can have a, a, a different time. 
but he believes in himself. That was one of the reasons that he left Valencia. He wanted to be captain. They didn't think he deserved to be captain. He wanted a raise. They didn't think he deserved the raise. Whether you agree with that or not, he believes in himself. He went to City. In City, he wasn't being a fixed starter with Guardiola. He was part of the rotation. He wanted to be like the guy on a big project. He left City to go to Barcelona. He believes in himself. Whether you think he's good enough, that's a whole different debate. But again, what I want to get at is that I love the fact that he took that ball without hesitation. He's like, I'm taking this penalty kick. This is mine. And the call, he it was Jorginho-esque the way he finished. He took that penalty with that little like jump and step. So again, he was horrible finishing-wise, but I think he did everything that was great. And we got to take into account, I know we're in the business of like being reactionary, but he's coming back from broken foot. He was out since October. He's regaining match fitness. He was playing on the left with Jordi Alba. He hasn't played. He's played either on the right. Then because of Adama being so great on the right, he's being shifted to the middle. And now because of Obama Young starting, he was, he was moved to the left. So technically he was playing in the least of the three positions that he feels more comfortable in. So take that into account. And, and again, I, I think he played great. Kill me, criticize me, but bar his finishing, I think he played great. Yeah, so there's a question here. I wonder how Xavi's going to proceed forward with this. I think he might believe that Obama Yang, maybe again, it could be match fitness for him too, that he wasn't going to be able to defend on that left wing. Because Ferran Torres did a fair, fair job, a decent job defending on that left wing. And I, I think Xavi might not have believed in Aubameyang's ability to do that. Because I think ideally, because of Ferran's ability to drop in deep, it makes a ton of sense to have Aubameyang on the left wing and Ferran Torres as the nine and Adama Traore uh, on the right. Because Ferran Torres is also one who's going to make that near post run in a way that Aubameyang doesn't. Aubameyang is just going to try to pop up around the penalty spot. And that's uh, so profile wise, it actually makes more sense moving forward, but there was certainly a reason. I'm I'm interested to hear if somebody asked Xavi or a journalist uh, asked Xavi that in the coming days. And I think the more worrying thing, though, and not worrying, but it's, it's worrying in a way that it could easily be resolved. And over time, like Pedri also missed one there. I mean, he was obviously he was Barcelona's best player in that match. It's obvious to me. And I think, again, that's his base level. He just incredible he's fantastic i'll compliment him later later but he still had that miss nico was pretty indecisive he was asked to do so so much but he was indecisive in the final third and i think that's something i'm hoping that comes along with time for nico like he's putting you could see nico unlike gabi and pedri in a way that i said this last week too that nico is just putting it together game by game match by match you could see that the gears are turning on certain things and he's getting there but the final third stuff is still a ways away and total as a team it wasn't just Farron. he had seven misses but the team as a whole as a whole had 20 attempts to just four but napoli's four attempts were uh, it was but sorry uh, shots on target were four to four as well so that's the problem that Barca had 16 shots off target and four on target napoli had four shots and four on target. I mean, that tells you a lot about different things. It tells you that Barca's finishing wasn't clinical, but they were creating chances. And it tells you that Napoli were getting only a few chances, but they were making good use of those chances against that, that Barca back line that we worried about. Now, I want to shift to the back line now and why I said about Oscar Mangaitha, why I want to talk about him. Because the tactics of this match, 
Again, this one, unlike Espanol, which, again, was just about the feelings and the intensity and all that stuff, and a Darby, this one was actually about tactics. And I think for Spalletti coming in, he could have said, hey, there's no Danny Alves. And even if there was Danny Alves, I'm not worried about attacking Danny Alves. So we're going to either attack Danny Alves. Oh, he's not registered. We're going to attack Sergino Dest. Oh, he might not start. We're going to attack Ronald Rajo. Oh, he's injured. We're going to attack Oscar Mangueta, right? So like, I, I think for Spalletti, it was going to be the same thing. And for if it was a Rajo on the right, as a right-back spot, I think it would have been a little bit more of, sorry, a little bit more relaxed in their pressure. But even then, Napoli weren't going all out and pressuring. They were allowing Oscar Mangueza to make decisions and forcing him to be the one to beat them. And he did that a bit better in the second half than the first. But again, you look at this match at a snapshot and start to say about Insigne going to MLS, Toronto FC, he's washed already at 30, whatever. But, but, but Insigne is really, really good. Watch the Serie A, a, a match with, with Napoli. Insigne is still the captain for a reason. And I thought that Mingetha did a admirable job. But he was also set up to fail from the start, not by Barca, but by Napoli. When a team is going to target you in the way that they did, and they also used Mingetha and Adama against Barcelona. And what I mean by that is that by making it that Adama was constantly being doubled or tripled, that meant that either Nico or Oscar Mingetha was going to have to overlap, of which they did neither of, because Mingetha had to stay at home with Insigne and could not, like, and had to worry about once that ball popped loose in the wrong place. And the fact is, I mean, the compliment to Mingetha here is that we know he's going to make an inconsiderate foul at some point. But the two fouls he did commit were A, no cards, so they weren't worried about a yellow or a red, and two, it happened in Napoli's half, meaning Barcelona were able to get their shape while the before the restart, and there were no quick restarts either, so they didn't fall asleep in that way. But the fact that, again, Nico was also working about dealing with De Young, which we'll talk about in a second, I don't want to touch that there, but not only was Mingueza dealing with Insigne, but if you notice as well, Fabian Ruiz and Nguise would both, whenever they had a progressive uh, 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 a space to have a progressive dribble, they would do it to the left. They would shade to the left wing, meaning if Mingetha was staying with Insigne, because you always have to worry about that run from the outside, then there was leaving room underneath for Ruiz and Nguitha. And if Nico was caught upfield, and obviously Adama was always caught upfield, but if Nico was caught upfield, that meant that there was wide open space there. And that meant that De Young was forced to defend horizontally sideline to sideline, which is the same way that it doesn't matter if it's Busquets or De Young, whoever, basically every player in the world, if it's one of you for an entire horizontal length of a field, you're going to get stuck. And so to, to have Ruiz and Inguisa just driving forward in that space, vacated because Mingetha had to stay with him, in the same way that if you watch prior to those counterattacks by Napoli, where did Osamen begin his attacks or his runs? He started on the touchline, like on the sideline, next to Mingetha. And then the second Napoli took possession, he would squirt into the middle to try to get in the middle of that half space between Mingetha and Pique, and that would leave space for Insigne to maybe have some room because Mingetha had to hand him off. And they were counting on that miscommunication, which honestly never occurred because the goal happened down whose side? Jordi Alba's side. <laughs> and Jordi Alba hit the ground. Uh, Eric Garcia got stuck between two minds. Do I step to Zelensky or because Alba's on the ground right now, do I shade over to make sure that guy doesn't just dribble in on the, on the goal line? So it's not, that's not a, um, that's not a defense of Eric Garcia. <laughs> Still, he was caught out in the wrong space. He was in no man's land, but there was a lot more mistakes to talk about, including Pedri losing Zelensky as well on that goal. So uh, it, that left side actually didn't cover itself in glory for the goal. Meanwhile, Mangaitha on the other side did fair. However, that you could see it with Mingetha, the big issue. It's going to continue to be an issue with this squad until the summertime. 
he he just he's not it. He's not good enough. But he is part of the team, and so he he's going to have to do just that job. If he can do that job again, well, I'm hoping that Araujo is back next week. But if Mangetha is forced to do that job again, I, I'm a little nervous that he can do that again. I, I think this might be his best. That's that's what I'm worried about. But yeah, how do you see this Mangetha point? I know I went long, but it was my tactic no, no. session. So Dan's tactics. It's over. The segment's over. The thing is, with Mingesa, I don't get mad at Mingesa because he is what he is. He's just not good enough to play for Barcelona. He's in the squad right now, and I didn't mind that he played today because in the grand scheme of things, to me, Sunday's game is was is going to be more important than today. So i rather have Serginho Dest because Dani Alves is suspended. I'd rather have Serginho Dest uh, against Valencia that have him against Napoli today get injured and then Mingueza having to play against Valencia. So it's just, he is what he is. He's just not good enough. Like he was kind of ish. Okay. But then there was another play, but I, he got knocked by, I think, Sielinski. And Sielinski then put a beautiful through ball to Ossiman, I think. And it didn't end up being a goal because of a great Ter Stegen save. So if that goes in, we're talking about Mingueza getting nutmeg mm-hmm. and then allowing Sielinski to put an amazing through ball. So, again, I, I do get mad at Jordi Alba because, again, it's just so frustrating. He's horrible defensively. So, again, like I don't want to spend too much time on Mingueza in that sense because it's just he is what he is. He's not good enough, and I don't want to like, drill on someone. To me, that's kind of bullying because – He's not supposed to be there. It's it's, it's circumstantial, like uh, freaking us having to register three out of four people. Test one of them not being able to play on a league game because he got a red card against Espanol and got two games suspended. So it's just circumstantial. And again, Mingueza, he is what he is, sadly. He's not good enough for Barcelona, even as what, a third right back right now, which is what he is. So then on the other side, I think the only one that was really good on the Barcelona's defense was Pique, yet again for the most part. And then with Pique, what, again, it's kind of ironic. It's, I got my shirt right now. If you're watching this, it's it's the Pique one at the back. Pique is one of those guys, when he plays great, nobody says a thing. So it kind of seems that he doesn't play well. But when he doesn't play well or goes on a bad run, that's when everybody goes out, the pit bulls come out, and it just seems that people write something, say something when he plays bad, but when he plays good, nobody says anything. So it kind of like it's like it feels like a little bit of like it manipulates the public opinion, and it might come across as like PK plays bad more off most of the time, which is far from the actual truth. And then Jordi Alba. <sighs> it's just it's just so so frustrating because he is what he is again in a way but you expect way more from i mean you kind of don't i know i'm contradicting myself because offensively he can do wonders but then what benefit does it to the team like does it does for the team that he can make a like a cross a, a pullback pass whatever you name it but then defensively it's not that he's bad. He's horrible. He just gets caught by positionally. He's just like a headless chicken running around because he gets caught by he a no man's land. He gets beaten. He doesn't block a, like 
opponents know if they put in a cross when Jordi Alba's in front of them, there's a 90% chance that cross is going to go to the box because he's not blocking that. And then he just scrambles because he's like a headless chicken running around, goes down. <laughs> it, just, it was sad to watch when well, he went down. And then Eddie Garcia, which I'm not very fond of, but in that particular play, I know he wasn't great, but in a way it's like, Jesus, I got this guy running around like a headless chicken, and then that puts me, which, again, I know I haven't played very well, like in the, I didn't play very well in the last game, but then you put Eric, who's trying to come back from injury, play better, and a situation which to him is a lose-lose situation, which is not fair to Eric to start with. Yeah, firstly, uh, on the point of PK, that yes, when Osiman took Eric Garcia's soul there in the, uh, I think it was early <laughs> in the second half, PK got it right. And so yeah, I'm a little nervous about the weekend between whoever it may be, if Araujo can't come back in time, some combination of that. It is telling, too, that Eric Garcia was better when Sergio Busquets was on the field. And that triumvirate of PK and Garcia and, and Busquets, they just they, they controlled the game. And when Barca are controlling the game, like we've said a million times, if Busi and Garcia are defending on the front foot, they're much better, both of them. And it is scary to have to both of them in tandem together. But yeah, PK was so good that they handled Osiman and he also came off the field. So Spalletti did Barca a little bit of a favor there, but he also hasn't fully been fit either. It should be it should be said as well. He was missing a few matches and finally just came back for Inter Milan. So I don't know if he was fully fit, fully fit either. And then yeah, on the point of Jordi Alba, it, it was a yikes as far as his defending. But the more worrisome thing tactically is that he requires De Young and Pedri to shade a bit to the left. And De Young naturally shades to the left when he's playing as that interior. And Busquets is in behind him. Of course, that's where he'll set up his dribbles. He'll set up wide, receive, and dribble forward. But he was shading to the left to support Alba today. Instead of shading, as I said, to the right, where Napoli were trying to strong side Mingetha and Adama Traore's side. So instead of having your, your defensive midfielder, your single pivot shading to the side where Napoli were going to have their numerical advantage. He was still shading to the left where Alba needed help, unfortunately. And so was Pedri, where instead of Pedri being able to stay forward, as I said, he was he didn't track the man of Zelensky. But part of that was because he also made a sprint out to the wing to try to help with an, a double. And, and if Alba doesn't need a double, and Alba will always need a double for the rest of his career, but if Alba doesn't have to double whoever's on that right wing and you have a left back who's able to 1v1 kind of be trusted in that in that situation, at least enough where you can pick up that the late run inside the box. It's one thing to double, like, for example, on the other side, how Napoli were doubling and tripling Adama Traore. If there is a, a circumstance or, as they say, you know, you do things a million times or whatever the saying is, if you do things a million times and you, it still happens the same result, you get the same result, then it's insanity. And it felt like that's what insanity was for Adama Traore today. And it will be uh, for the, unless the rare occasions happen when he gets to the, the, the goal line and throws one in and something happens. And it can happen. He can do that two or three times and Barca can win games that way. But yeah, as far as the back line, it, there were pros and cons, but it does make you worry about the 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 Sunday's game because who knows what Barca have left as far as even a, a back four of Alba Dest Araujo and Garcia is so kind of frightening and in front of them we know Busquets is going to start against Valencia but I want to ask that today but remember it's been a year since I got to ask this question I talked about Busquets Domagoy and I went real deep on it I don't want to talk about next season I want to talk about just the match we watch the more than Busquets who came in and controlled that match 
And also with Gabi. I want to mention I want to mention that too. I think most importantly, Gabi and Busquets came on from Nico and De Young. So Nico and De Young both had their jobs and fit a certain profile. Gabi is an interior. That's what he is. That's what he came on and did. Busquets is a pivot. That's what he came on and that's what he did. And Barca seemed to just have more chemistry. They were more controlled. They were more calm. De Young is a single pivot though, with Nico and Pedri with him. How do you judge that? What grade do you give? Give me a number. Give me a, an American letter. A to, a to F. How do you grade a, that? I guess I, it's an experiment at this point. From a 1 to 10, I give you a 6. And a grade, I give you a C. And that's my problem with De Young. Like, it's, it's, it's the, the, the question that nobody seems to have an answer for. And I think we spoke that on the, on the, the last time I was here. It's De Young, the talent is there. We all know it. It's just that it's so frustrating because for whatever reason that nobody has found a solution to, yet it hasn't clicked to let out all the potential that we know he has. It hasn't worked when he's played as an interior in front of Busquets, whether on the left or on the right. And it hasn't played where he's played as a single pivot instead of Busquets. So what is this, the solution? beats me i don't know they don't pay me for that they pay xavi for that and, the, and before kuman and before uh setien and, and whatnot and but the thing is i i give him a, a from a one to ten a six and uh from a letter a, a c because he wasn't bad i didn't feel he was bad but i from the eye test i haven't looked at any stats whatsoever from the eye test he wasn't i didn't feel he was bad but i didn't feel he was great either I didn't feel he dominated anything, and I also didn't see him commit any crazy errors or horrible errors. He was just okay. And I guess that's better than being bad and committing errors and whatnot, but from Frankie de Jong, we expect way more than an okay. So to me, that, that's been the problem and still is the problem with Frankie, that he's, he could be so much more And for whatever reason, he still hasn't shown the potential that, I mean, everyone seems to think he has. I think his long balls are a question. They were worry and a concern in a single pivot. And Nico also does not display the ability to pass the ball uh, expertly the way that Busquets does over 30 or 40 yards. So I think it's still a concern as far as that. Now, mo mobility-wise and at least being able to It's interesting because Napoli were better in that first half as far as controlling the midfield, but Barcelona were more mobile. So it's this, it's this, there's a little bit of a dissonance between what you, what your eyes are seeing and what you think to be true because they, I mean, the system made sense where when De Jong would pick it up deep and there was nobody in front of him, he would dribble forward, progressive dribbling like he's expected to do. That's his profile. And I think that's what Xavi wants him to do, to be at his best. And Nico, who's played as a pivot for Barca B, and I think also profiles the player who can handle some of that job, some of that defensive understanding of uh, how to cut out that counterattack, he wound up dropping in. Or there was one or two times when Pedri would drop in too. So it made sense in terms of the pistons, in terms of the way that everyone was supposed to be moving. And yeah, there were little things with chemistry, especially in the buildup as they move forward through the middle. So maybe it will improve. But yeah, you're right that there was something that was just better in the second half. And I said it could be has to do with Busquets. It could actually have to do with Gabi as well. Just adding a little bit more bite on that press. I say that in the same way, though, that I say that Nico, I think, is best on the press. So I actually was happy, even though De Jong, his rest defense is not as well, or his positioning, if you will, on the rest defense is not as 
100% correct as Busquets. I mean, very rarely is he going to be out of position in rest defense. He's going to get turned inside out physically, yes, <laughs> when a guy is faster than him and is going to get around him, yes, but at least he starts the position in the right spot when the ball is turned over in a way that DeYoung just wasn't in those spots. But, but, this is a big but, that Nico's best quality seems to be in, bar in Xavi's system is to be able to press and to work hard and to put pressure on that back line and to control. And then Gabi, who's been inverting as a left winger, comes in, basically does the Nico job and does it to great effect because he has Busquets behind him. So it's like, it's hard to understand if it, I don't think it's a De Jong experiment. I really think it is De Jong and Nico experiment or what we saw from Gabi and Busquets coming in after, it must be said too, that Napoli midfield and back line were pretty, not say worn down, but Barca had possession for so much of this game. So Busquets got to capitalize and say, hey, you know, if this is my future, I can deal with this being fully fit with 30 minutes left to go. I don't have to worry about getting cut out in the 70 or 80th minute and conserve it. So, all right, there's that, the midfield handled. I think the last point, just a quick one-off, is that I hope those 73,000 plus people at the Camp know got that jeering for Dembele out of their system. I'm just as mad as everybody else that that guy's not renewing. I'm frustrated at the situation, how it all played out. I don't want to rehash that. But you could clearly see when he came on the field that if Barca want to finish top four and Xavi's looking down his bench and looking in the stands, you should put that guy on the field. That is what I know. That is all that I know is that MLA for Barca to have its most success this season. As I keep saying, you got to just suck it up. You got it. Like, I wouldn't have jeered him if I was there. I wouldn't have. He was good. And I want to cheer the things he did well, which is most of it. The reason Ferran Torres missed in the 80th minute is because Napoli had no answer for Dembele when he cut in. No answer. And that left Ferran Torres wide open in the 88th minute of that game. And that could have ended it. All on the boot of Dembele. I understand people are frustrated. Get it out of your system. That's what I'm going to say. I'm saying, let him hear it. That's fine. But moving forward, just get over it and just do not have to cheer him. Just accept that he's important to finishing top four and the best version of this team this season. I would have booed him when he got in. To me, it was Fair. a little bit excessive when they kept booing him when he, every time he touched the ball, I was like, okay, like I get it. But like, Hey, he's going to be with us, whether you like it or not until the end of the season and we need him. So whatever, I'll give them that slack of the first game back at the camp. No, and whatnot. Hopefully it doesn't happen again, at least while he's actually playing. If we want to boo him when he had in a little bit, whatever, but Vicente Moreno, Espanol's coach said it, after the game, during the press conference, he was like, whoa, yeah, uh, no bleep. Like, it's harder when we are tired. And then Xavi has on his bench freaking Usman Dembele. <laughs> yeah. He puts them in like, no bleep. It's going to be hard for us to try. Like, we're dealing with freaking Adama Traore for 75 minutes. And then when he comes out, you're like, woof, thank God he's out. Oh, no. Usman Dembele is in. Yeah, the better, like, the better player is in. Yeah, the better player because he's better than Adama. So, at the end, it's the end justify the means or however the the saying goes. So whether he starts, which I wouldn't be surprised if he starts against Valencia. We, we just saw what a team could do to Adama, the means they would go to to try and cancel Adama, double team him, triple team him. If you put Dembele on the other side, I'm no tactical whiz, but I would think that it would be a little bit harder for you to concentrate three guys on Adama when you got a guy named Usman Dembele on the other side. So it's basically a pick your poison. So I would think whether it's putting them 
like Xavi did against Espanol together, Adama on the right, then Dembele as a sub, or what he did today, taking Adama out and putting a fresher Dembele in, or we haven't seen that yet, starting both of them. Xavi has a lot of toys to play around with, tactically speaking, and Dembele, Vicente Moreno said it. And Spalletti, I was listening to his press conference a little bit, and he was he talks very slowly in Italian. So like you could all, I almost fell asleep. But what I could gather from my year of Italian that I passed because the teacher, like I bless her heart, I should have, like I she gave me a C, and that was a stretch. I should have gotten like a D minus. But from what I could gather from my year of Italian in college, he basically said that like, dude, like Xavi. What do you expect us to do? We were dealing with freaking Adama Traore for 70 minutes. Barcelona at the camp, no, moving the ball around. We're tired. Yeah. He takes him out and puts freaking Dembele in. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, of course he's going to create chaos. Of course we're going to suffer. It's what happened. It's like, it's no blip Sherlock. Like, it's hard when you got a guy like freaking Adama Dembele coming from the bench. So we would be dumb. Xavi would be dumb. And Xavi's not dumb. He's been trying because Laporta is a macho man like bravado. If it was up to Laporta, Dembele would probably wouldn't be playing. But Xavi, from the reports that we've read from credible journalists, Xavi was like, dude, I'm the coach. I'm the one that's going to end up looking bad. And at the end of the day, we got to finish top four. If we got, we want to have a fighting chance of getting Haaland. If you want to get Haaland and end up being the savior, the guy that brought Haaland to the camp, no, we need to finish top four. And in order to do that, you got to suck it up. You're, you're bravado, your ego, because we need freaking Dembele. You might like him. You might not like him. You might hate his uh, agency, Soko, everything that they've done. But it is what it is, and we might, we would be dumb as hell to not use Dembele until the rest of the season in order to finish top four. It's just, it, you got to yeah. suck it up. There's t times in life you might not want to, but your ego, you got to swallow your pride. And this is – Xavi has no problem. It's just La Porta that had a problem, but I, I think he saw the bigger picture yep. and was like, whatever, Xavi, do what you got to do. Well, speaking of Holland, it was interesting to see him sitting, watching on as Dortmund lost today to Rangers 4-2. And as that result's happening, I'm thinking, what if Barcelona were to sign Holland and he's watching if Napoli had beaten Barcelona 4-2, right? Where would the internet be? Where would the memes be? Where would everyone, right? What would the response be, right? Real quick, so, like on that part, I think Holland is a very smart young player. And I think this is kind of crazy that I, I'm calling somebody who's like, five times bigger than I am and could probably like kill me with a punch. Yeah. Like he's so smart for somebody that age, but him and Rayola, if there's one thing that Rayola isn't is dumb. Rayola is smart as hell. He knows the economical part of the football world, but he also knows if he, it's like uh like that little, I like to make a lot of anal analogies. I'm sorry. Like, when you pick the the machine that you pick the that uh, the stuffed toy, yeah, yeah, the, the crane, 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 like machine, the Toy Story thing, yeah, yeah. He knows from a football standpoint. He's watching Barcelona. He knows how many chances with a great young midfield 
that we are creating with the wingers that we have right now. Even have he now. That even have even, even the wingers even now, we have without now. Ansu Fati. Yes. Even without Ansu Fati. So like when they pick like the crane drops in Toy Story to pick out the little aliens, he knows that it he's the crane. If he drops it, picks Haaland and drops it at the camp, no. Imagine Haaland at the end of and again, I don't want to like build on Ferran, but imagine Haaland, and Haaland knows it, if he's at the end of all of Ferran's chances, he puts probably half of them in. Yeah, he probably had three goals That's tonight. a fact. Yeah, he has so, three goals tonight, yeah. That's that's what I'm counting on from, again, I don't want to like deviate and turn this into a Haaland, which I would love to, but La Rayola is not dumb. Haaland is not dumb. He, they see that this young team, which we are, but you see Pedri, you see Gavi, you see Frenkie, you're salivating, you see Adama, Farran, uh, Ansu when he comes back. They know they're not dumb. They know that this is so, we are probably the best young team in Europe that could, if we end up getting a striker like Haaland, dominate Europe for the next decade. And literally, apart from like getting better defensively, I know, apart from, but from the midfield onward, if we put a beast, finishing beast like Haaland up top, but everything that we have, the 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds that we have, this, it's just crazy what this team could become. And I'm counting on Rayola and Haaland being smart, which I think they are, and realizing Damn, if I put myself there with the talent that creates so many opportunities, I'm going to be like Kirby, like just ever swallowing all these chances that I could end up scoring so many goals. To me, it's just, it would be so dumb for Haaland to not go to Barcelona thinking the next decade that it's just, I don't know, whatever. I'm sorry I deviated from like, I know you just mentioned Haaland a little bit, and I took it yeah. and ran to the end zone. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's my like weakness. I'm sorry. Haaland well, is my weakness. I think he's when he's on the field, he's very, very good, and he's not always on the field. And you're right. Riola is smart enough to get a really good deal because he's not poor either. That's what Riola isn't. He's smart enough to get a really good deal for a player that I don't know how much he's going to play over the next 10 years. But that's a problem for the summertime and for the coming weeks. It's Holland discussion is not over. So I'd love to have you. We'll, we'll do it again, Rafa. But next time, I think you and I have both succeeded and failed very much like Barca did against Napoli. There were good and bad things about the cliches that we both successfully managed to convert on some of our cliches. And I think we missed on some as well. But uh, anyway, that's Meske Um Podcast for... Rafa on YouTube, on Twitter, everywhere you can find uh, him, especially on YouTube, particularly watch his shows. Uh, I mean, I enjoy as much as I could get out of it uh, with my understanding <laughs> of Spanish. Uh, I enjoy watching his uh, the pressers because at the end of the day, I know it sounds stupid, but the managers and the people actually talk. It's a lot of coach speak, a lot of nothing, but sometimes they give you something. And I think Xavi's point about Ferran Torres, I'm, I'm glad to, that we were able to check that out real quick right after the matches. So we're also, that being me, on Twitter at Instagram, and Instagram at the Barcelona Potter at Hilton D13 for me. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast, and Patreon, of course, is how we keep making these shows. Thank you to all our Patreons. And then as well, on YouTube. That's where I did the match review, the five headlines. And, you know, I, I like doing them. We'll do them. So uh, that's Valencia coming up on the weekend. And match reviews, that's at the Barcelona Podcast. And most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Force the Barca.
Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home, and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio.